0: Hello, I'm Artis, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hi everybody. I'm also a uh, member of the Al-Anon Family Group. <coughs> um, my Al-Anon birthday is January of '94, and my AA birthday is uh, August 5th of '83. I'm sorry, '84, '83. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> um, I've I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't like to speak. I always tell people that because it's not something that I don't understand even why I speak. But um, I was telling a friend in Tulsa, I came close to calling and canceling because I don't understand a lot of what it is I'm supposed to share with you, except, um, my, and, and she told me that she heard a speaker say that she was going to cancel and it was her ego saying she didn't have anything. And I have a lot. (laughs) I do. I don't know where I thought I didn't. When she told me that, it was like a light went off. I went, yeah, I got a lot of stuff. Maybe it's just not stuff you want. (laughs) But um,
1: so I thought, Whoa! and that just changed my
0: whole day around. So um, don't be afraid to share what you feel with somebody. It just might be something that will turn your whole day around. I mean, that just amazed me, that one statement. She wasn't there to fix me. She was just talking about a speaker she heard. And um, there are a few things I share before I share my experience, strength, and hope. And the reason I share them isn't for you, I share them for me. To make sure that artists is staying in the now and is in the reality that I have grasped so far. And uh, one of them is that no one speaks for Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's real important to me, especially if, if you're a newcomer, because speakers do not represent AA. We're just drunks trying to stay sober. And I went to AA. And these are some of my experience, strength, and Hope, of working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and of Al-Anon. And my Al-Anon is 1984, excuse me. Um, the other thing is, I don't have any original thoughts or any original Wisdom. All I've ever gotten, I've got from you. All I did was go to the meetings and do what you told me to do. And then things started happening in my life, and now I'm behind a podium telling you what you told me. And, th- and that's why there's no original thoughts. If there were original, I'd charge you.
1: <laughs> so be grateful <laughs>
0: that I'm not there. I can't. I can get there. You've seen us. We're really pain in the asses in recovery. We're called gurus. The other thing is I try to share from my heart and not my head, and um, it's taken a long time to get to my heart. (laughs) And uh, sometimes when I share something I'm feeling, it offends people, and I assure you I'm not here to offend anyone. And if I do offend you, I'll tell you what they told me. Uh, call your sponsor and work your steps, and you'll get over it. And if you don't have a sponsor, you don't have steps, you're not going to have a good time.
1: Because that's how I get over what you say to me. So that's
0: one of the things you gave me. The other thing is I, um, I believe that everything I have today I got from you, and the day I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had never, ever, ever met a sober person. Now, you, when when you think about how you got here, when it says we admitted we're powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable, what an understatement in some ways, and then what an overwhelming statement in another way. I did not grasp that step for years, and when I came to you, I thought... I saw the steps and I thought, uh, why would I come to the very thing I hate, which is drunks, to, to get sober and why? You know, and that's one of the things that I, I had a hard time with was, why do you want to quit drinking? I mean, what was your purpose? I didn't get it. And it took a long time for me. Um, my mother was a bartender and my father was a customer.
1: <laughs> so
0: that ought to be about enough for my drunk a Uh from that moment on when the two connected over alcohol it's that's been my life um, alcoholism is a family disease and I tell you from my experience that sobriety is a very unusual place to be if you've never been there. And when we come to Alcoholics Anonymous and you tell us, you have walked before us, say, now put the cork in a bottle and throw the pills away. Jesus Christ, have you ever been there when you put the cork in a bottle and throw the pills away? It's like, and I didn't hear my story until I saw Whoopi, Girl, Whoopi Goldberg do a stand-up routine. <laughs> When she got out of treatment, I don't know if you all ever saw it, but that's the first time i related. And she wasn't even in the program. I was trying not, it's not that I'm unique, I couldn't hear anything because I've been sedated all my life. And one of the things, there was a guy who was in the paper and he was in a coma, remember, seven years, and he woke up and everybody was talking about it and I thought, Phew. They ought to talk to alcoholics. We've been in comas for years. I don't know why they think a seven years out of reality is any big deal. And that's how my mind thinks. It's like I've never been here, so everything that Step 2 talks about uh, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. There was nothing to be restored to. That's, and there are a lot of us that come in that way. I mean, some of you have had some really normal same times got into alcoholism and now you're going back and I think that's great but I've not been there (laughs) and one of the things is that being restored to sanity uh confused me for a long time too because I had no idea what you were talking about alcohol I'm what they call a, a alcoholic that was raised on a synthetic personality um When I went to the bars, I had three elements I had to have with me to be a really, really good lesbian. One, I had to have a shot of bourbon before I went out the door. And that wasn't one, but as many as it took to make me feel nothing. Because I've heard people say when they took a shot or a drink or something, they got real pretty. (laughs) I didn't get there. I don't know what. I always wondered what they were drinking. (laughs) But...
1: I didn't ever feel pretty.
0: I felt nothing, and that's utopia for me. And then the other thing I had to have was um, cocaine. Now, cocaine is when I got to the bar, and there you are. There we are, you and me, and we look good, okay? But when I saw a woman, I didn't really know, you know, what to say, and so I'd take a couple of rails of cocaine and I could talk about anything. And I was so, that powerful drug, it alleviates all insecurities. If you've taken it, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, I'm going to try to describe it to you. If I was on cocaine now with a little shot of bourbon, I could tell you how to build this hotel.
1: <laughs> and I would tell
0: you with such confidence that you would think, my God, will you come and build me one? I could talk about any subject on cocaine. It's like I had no idea, never read it, but it would just come from nowhere <laughs> and I knew everything Well, now I'm really really doing good in the bar you know now i'm 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 you know we call it uh table hopping uh I'm going from table to table and and i i, I lesbians are. I'm scared to death of them. (laughs) Straight women, I'm not. And uh, they were my peers, so for a long time they influenced my life, gay women did, and um, to the negative, not the positive. But I'd be in that bar, and I was raised in beer joints and nightclubs. I know what that man was talking about last night, about being in a bar shining shoes at seven. I was playing pool like this at seven. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and then one day I was like this
0: And my mother, there was this bar stool And I used to whirl around on it when I was little And then one day I sat on it and my feet touched the floor And I thought she lowered it
1: <laughs> And I
0: realized I grew up in it And I'd never been outside that environment Until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous I never went to a prom I never went to the school functions I always did my homework in the bar and the bar was my home. I could not grasp why anybody would want to sober up and go to the bar. And it took me a while to to get winged recovery from the bar atmosphere into total recovery of Alcoholics Anonymous. So now I'm 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 back in the bar now. I've got my bourbon, I've got my cocaine, and I'm moving around. And I'm talking, I'm dancing. And now I meet somebody, and I guess they like me because they looked at me over a second and they didn't blink. So I figure they like me. That's the lesbian signal. I did not know. (laughs) I did not know it was induced by drugs. I didn't know that. (laughs) But that was, I mean, I didn't know whether the signal was y'all gay, but that was it for me. I lived two lives. I lived in my mother's straight bar with all the heterosexual, redneck, ball-scratching men. And then it, I'd tell them I'm going to go home, and I'd wind up in, on uh, 11th and Lewis at the 8th Day Lounge with, in the bars with the gay community. And I was 14. And I finally found a gay bar. I did not know I was gay. But I found it through softball, if you're looking for the gay bars. They take you to the gay bars.
1: And and
0: when I grew up in the gay community, we didn't have gay homosexuals. It was just gay. And the men and women were in one bar, and we protected the gay men. (laughs) And those remember that. Remember those days. They would come running in, and we go out there and beat up straight people. They come back in. We were very, very close then. Very close. I really was hurt when we started separating with gay rights. I thought gay rights would bring us together, but it kind of separated us. But that's okay. I've had to accept that today. I'm just one of those old lesbians that has to accept a new way of life in the gay community. So, anyway, I meet this girl and I, I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, uh, nothing.
1: <laughs>
0: I never could think. I just looked. And, um, I don't remember how we meet and then we wind up somewhere else, but that's that blackout we don't know about. But now, now I want to have sex, but I'm not real sure. Uh, no, I know how to do it, I'm just not sure where the feelings come to do it. So now I have the third element that I need in Quaaludes. Uh, those that didn't take it don't know what I'm talking about. Quaaludes is like taking a Spanish fly. I mean, when I took those things straight, people looked good. You know, I mean, it was like, I had to be very careful where I took those. Very careful. So that's a night out with an alcoholic addict, uh, ACA before recovery and the next morning when i wake up and i I'd, I'd look at her she'd look at me it was that awful feeling how much did i pay you <laughs> did i did you pay me how, how did we get here i don't even know these people i never had an intimate relationship till i came to really alcoholics anonymous and al-anon so i was raised in the disease of alcoholism, and I didn't know any other way of life. Now, as my education, people say, how could you got an education to be that tunnel vision, that closed off from the reality of the world? And it's because somebody taught me to do my job. Uh, nobody taught me how to be a part of the human race, but they did teach me my job. And for, for eight hours a day, it was the only time I was ever out of myself that I could work with a patient. And it amazed me that I could go to the emergency room, make life and death decisions, and then go out from the emergency room to the bar and go, duh, (laughs) duh, where's my... I couldn't even do whatever it is you're supposed to do on a normal level. But because I knew my skill, I could go to the emergency room, make life and death decisions, and and that, that was the only thing I had going in my life. And my life progressed into the disease more and more and more, and... And I hated drunks. I mean, I didn't like them. You know, I would sit at the table and drink, but I would say, uh, I don't I don't really think I'll drink tonight. And what I did was sip on a beer and go to the bar and sh- take shots of bourbon. Because I didn't want you to think that I drank when I can't end drunks. I mean, the very thing I hate, I became. And so my self-hatred when I got here was overwhelming. You know, it was just overwhelming. Uh, I was at... Uh, Sharon and Tammy's for Thanksgiving dinner yesterday, and I want to thank them. It was a wonderful dinner, a lot of great fellowship, and really neat people. And I want to thank uh, them for the basket I got in my room. Did the other speakers get a $100 bill? (laughs) That's an old joke. (laughs) It's an old speaker joke. (laughs) Oh, you didn't? (laughs) Um, the, The thing about it is when I feel... Uh, overwhelmed with um, the reality of sobriety, it still scares me today. And I, I have 13 years, but I've never had sobriety. I've never had reality, so it's it's like I'm 13. So, um, we have a lot of of drunkologues and, and experiences that would overwhelm most people who are outside the program how we could laugh at such things. But you see, I've I've I'm I'm in recovery, and there's a big difference between being a part of something and just standing on the perimeter saying, I've been there, I've been to AA. You know, that's not what I want in my life. And I did a lot of insane things, and I've been in and out of mental institutions before I got to you, and I was a professional woman who went in and out of mental institutions, and I would pre-register myself because I knew I was going back. And um, we were talking at uh, Sharon's about... Uh, all, there's another lady there who felt the same way, and um, I would pre-register myself, put myself in, and then escape. <laughs> I don't know why. I forgot that part, that I would sneak out and run away, and it's like there it wasn't anybody after me. But... Um, my, uh, the disease of alcoholism. Before we caught and we don't hear this much anymore, but there's an invisible line that we pass over. Alcohol, the bourbon, the cocaine, and the Quaaludes saved me for a long time because I was insane before I ever took those. Um, because of being raised in the disease of alcoholism, I certainly didn't hear any anything that would have helped my self-esteem or any no one did you've heard some of the speakers here before me I mean it's very bad in that atmosphere it's bad in a normal home I don't even think there is a normal home out there I think y'all lied (laughs) I haven't made anybody really come from one but that atmosphere is so overwhelming that even when things are happening to us in the disease of alcoholism we're not aware that it is bad we just have this feeling we don't know what to do with, so we sedate it. That's the way I understand myself. And uh, So there's this invisible line, and we go along, if you're like me, and I'm surviving the, the world with, with, with all the synthetics that my body can handle and function in a world that says between eight and five, don't come in with anything in your body. And that's basically all I did. And... Uh, one day I passed over the invisible line. Let me tell you what that's like because, you see, if alcohol would do what it's supposed to do, I wouldn't be here. Why, Why would I be here? I certainly don't need you if everything's working fine for me because it worked. It was, I didn't feel anything. The only time I was overwhelmed is, was between drugs. And I, I've had people ask me to drink. I don't know if you've been there, but they've said, please. Take this.
1: <laughs> I take
0: it. And if Sally's here tonight, she'll, she'll validate that. And um, Or this morning. I'm not used to the morning. Uh, I passed over this line, and I'll tell you what it's like. When I took a shot of bourbon one day, it didn't work. It didn't not make me feel. It intensified whatever was going on inside me that has been dead for years. Because I came to you when I was 35. And uh, uh, and the the cocaine. All of a sudden, I was is stupid. They were right. The those that called me stupid. like in reality, they're right. The reality between drinks with no spirituality, that kind. And uh, the quaaludes. <laughs> I was so bad. You, I couldn't pay you to go out with me, <laughs> much less give you a quaalude to make you think that I was okay. Because when we took those things, we. We didn't know anything about each other. It just took everything away. Well, I didn't care to know. And you, I certainly didn't think you cared to know about me. And now those things don't work. They, they don't work. I mean, I'm taking them and they're not working. And I don't... Uh, now what do you do? And the 12 and 12 talks about it. It's so graphic in there. What's wrong with us? It says, I cannot stay sober. I cannot stay drunk. Hello? Hello? And then if you read on it, this is the jumping off place. This is where most of us die because we don't know what to do. Because we come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and it looks like a social gathering, and it's a fellowship. And I had to learn that, the difference between the two. And so I got to the point in the second step where it talks about that, and it says uh, that, To be restored to sanity, I had to see what was blocking me off from a higher power. Well, I haven't even gotten to you yet, and I'm on a second step. I'm trying to find some kind of sanity. All of a sudden, my chemical personality is not working, so the book says we'll start doing everything. Changing drinks, changing people, changing places, changing jobs, changing things, changing looks, and everything. I've been... I've been butch, Sam. I've been, I even pretended I was straight to be brought out. I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever done that, but you've got to go to another state to do it. But I did that, just cause I didn't know what to do. And, um, and they brought me out, it was real nice, they were real, I, lesbians that bring out straight women are very nice. But um, I had to clean that up. But I went, and I realized that my life, there was something wrong with it, and I never, ever, ever, ever thought it had anything to do with alcohol. There were feelings going on in me, and I would wind up in mental institutions, and they would sedate me with medication, and then they'd let me out. And I would try to function on the antidepressants. I was bipolar, tripolar, mypolar. I've got every schizo, mino, privo, twatso, disease. I had everything. And they signed this thing. and said, you cannot function in society without medication. And I said, oh, my God. You know, that's it.
1: <laughs>
0: on my 30th birthday, I was in a mental institution on vacation. I always went on my vacation. No one at work ever knew that I had been in so many mental institutions. I was on call at the hospital when my insanity would kick in, which is between drunks. Because once I got the booze and stuff in me, I'm I'm sedated, I'm okay. But um I I couldn't call in and say I'm sick. I'd call in and say I have been robbed. I've been uh held up by gunpoint. I mean I made mean, it so dramatic that when I'd go back, I'd forget. And they'd go, are you okay? <laughs> and I go, yeah. What I, <laughs> I forgot what I told them. I mean, it got that bad. But um, I'm in this mental institution. I turned 30. And I'm sedated from the head down. The only thing that th- they give you that Thorazine, they knock you out. And I didn't go in like, I'm here for mental health. I have some problems. I went in in a rage. It's like they had to hold me down and shoot me in the butt, and then I'm like, okay. And I never did know. I don't remember ever in the mental health ever asking me, what's your problem? I didn't ever know what it was, and they just would sedate me and feed me, and then I'd escape, and the whole cycle would start over again. So I'm in the mental institution, 30 years old, and I'm laying flat. And the only thing I can move are my eyes and I'm just going back and forth trying to figure out what they really OD'd me on this story. I could not lift a finger. And this nurse stuck her face over me like that and said and she had these flowers here. Today you're thirty years old. (laughs) (laughs) I thought. Of course my thought was, Who sent the flowers? You know, I never knew who sent the flowers till years later when I was on a, uh, in the nursing station at a hospital and I heard him say, hey, there's a patient down there. Nobody calls. Nobody comes and sees her. And it's her birthday. Let's check in and get her some. That's where those flowers came from. I, figured, I always wondered because there wasn't a soul in my life that cared whether I was 30 or alive. I mean, I took myself to those mental institutions and I took myself out. And one time a friend took me just to get rid of me. Just so I laid there, and I remember her saying, "I'm 30 years old, and it's my birthday." And I thought, "I wasn't born this way. What is the matter with me?" For eight hours, I can function on a job because I'm so out of myself. I don't even in the medical field you can't waste your time thinking about yourself. It's a life and death decision all the time in my field. It was I was specialized, and but the, the, the moment it was over, I was insane again. It was like I could, and then that. When you pass over the line of alcoholism, now it seeps into that eight hours, and I saw myself going slowly into taking volumes at work, and and slowly, uh, uh, ask all of a sudden asking the doctors for prescriptions. I can't sleep. Well, how about uh, giving me something to sleep? And then how about I can't stay awake? How about give me something to stay awake? And how about i I'm, I'm I have diarrhea well i heard this to stop diarrhea and i just kept getting all these prescriptions now i've got that on top of all the medication and i don't know i've lost control here and i used to have some kind of control over my life of my three little elements that i took to the bar every night and i laid there and i thought i got up i slowly what i did was she would come and put the give me the pill and stick it in my mouth and pour the water and I did the old stick it under the tongue spit it out when she left the room and detoxed myself and got up out of the bed and and it was a lock ward and uh, I've been in the medical field you just grab a lab coat just like in the movies and you go hi Hal Smith hi see you tomorrow and walked out the locked doors and went home and uh, just sat there and thought I don't know what to do I don't know what to do and I went to um a treatment in 1980 at valley hope and cushing and i was there 30 days and i did not relate that it was alcohol you know if you take one five milligram volume it takes 30 days to get out of your system you know and i had so much in it i mean i it would take more than 30 days for me to grasp any kind of sobriety but i remember these two guys sitting in that treatment center and they were sitting in front of me and one of them said He talked about some equipment that he had bought. He said, I bought it brand new. Damn thing don't work. The other guy said, i would take it back to whoever made it. Because if somebody makes something, they ought to make it where it works. Now, this is how deep I could get. I related.
1: (laughs) And I'm thinking, I related to like
0: God made me, and I don't work right. And why doesn't he just take me back? Because I've been suicidal all my life. All my life, you guys, I have... Always tried to kill myself. I've done all kinds of crazy things to kill myself and winded up not dying. I come, I hit the bottom that Alcoholics Anonymous talks about. Let me tell you what the bottom is for me. The bottom, it doesn't matter what happened to me to get me to step one, but I got there. And I got it through a mental institution where they told me that I couldn't function in society without medication. I had been to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and I couldn't hear anything. I would hear the speaker say, I got my wife back, I got my kids back, I got my job back. I didn't have any of those things to get back. So what am I want to sober up for? Nothing against the speaker. I just couldn't hear anything. And there were no gay meetings. Well, there was, but it was at this person's house, and they didn't want me there. So I went to the straight meetings. And I didn't get it. And uh, uh I was in a redneck, red, you know, the ball scratching redneck little town. I'm sorry if that offends you, but that's how to describe what, what kind of person I was. Why I ended up being in those meetings. And, uh, they told me I went to jail, and they said, uh, this doctor I had worked with in the hospital, and he said, Artis, right, so if you go to a meeting, I'll get you out on your own. Is the word reconnaissance? And, uh, I can never say it, reconnaissance. Ah. Okay, you know what it is. So I, um, I didn't know what the word was, but I said okay, and ran home and looked it up because I thought he wanted a sexual favor. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked it up and said something about trusting me. Oh damn, what a fool! But I went to the meeting and I remember the meeting, and I didn't have that overwhelming. I'm home. I had a thing of it reminded me of the bar with the lights on,
1: <laughs> and I was
0: kind of going through. I was really kind of foggy. Yeah, I was like, a, you know, I was kind of like that doll in the back of a car. I couldn't anyway. I took. I said to myself, Why are these people? What are they doing? And this, I was sitting there. This woman and she, and they were saying, and thirty days sobriety, forty. Day, and I said, What is sobriety? And she went, oh my God!
1: <laughs> she said, to,
0: She took me out in the hall. She said, honey, sobriety is going without a drink one day at a time with a higher power. You choose to go God and doing the twelve steps, talking on and on. And I said, why? Why would you want to go without a drink for one day at a time with the twelve steps? I And she said, because it's a new way of life. And I did not. And, and this is what you sound when we're new. I am not stand through everything And that's what it sounds like and I'm going, What? And she'd say because you're very well I know where So I said, Okay, well I didn't want it, whatever it was <laughs> I laughed, I drank some more. I got more insane and I did more insane things and uh, I winded up in another mental institution and uh I'd gone to meetings off and on for three years, from 1980 to 1983, in and out, in and out. You've seen us. We are those ones that come in and out, in and out. And um, uh, I wound up in a mental institution uh, at St. Francis, and they put me through all the tests and everything, and the ink block test and the mental test and all that shit, and I passed. You know? <laughs> and that's how I felt like, oh, I passed the test, I guess. Because I'm here. And uh, they put me into this office, and one of the best psychologists, they say, in Tulsa, said, um, "Artist, you're not an alcoholic or a drug addict. You have grave emotional and mental disorders.
1: <laughs>
0: and I'm telling you, it's the first time a light kind of in my heart, not in my head, went off. Because i had been to your meetings, and I couldn't hear anything except how it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail as thoroughly followed our path. Remember that part? And I didn't know whose path they meant. I do now. But then down, if you keep here, if you listen to it, it says those two with grave emotional and mental disorders—they too can recover if they have the capacity to be honest. It says we have grave emotional and mental disorders. We have the capacity if we just be honest. And I had no idea what they were talking about, but I remember hearing that so deeply. And. I said, Well I want to pass to go to a meeting because I knew there was a meeting in Saint Francis. He said, I just told you you weren't an alcoholic And he said, You know what we do? God is so smart because he knows if we if you tell an alcoholic to go north, where will they go? (laughs) South. I mean that got me in more trouble than anything. The people would say, Get out of my house, I'd stay.
1: (laughs) If they told me to stay, I got out.
0: And I was telling Sally last night, I used to go to parties where they didn't invite me, and that's the way alcohol is. They invite me, I'm going. But they invite me. I don't want to go to your party. And I was wired that way backwards, just totally backwards. So I wind up and I said, "I want to pass to go to this meeting." And, and they said, uh, I just, uh, let me try to explain it. You are a mental patient. You are not an alcoholic addict. You know, you took those stuff because and you're they're right. In some ways they were and in some ways they weren't. I said, Look, I just want to go to a meeting. So he gave me the pass and I went to the meeting. Nothing happened at the meeting. He still sounded bad. But I sat there for the first time with a desire. And I thought, gee, maybe I was wrong, you know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I just thought I was part of this, you know. Three months in a meeting. It's awful. Three months in a meeting with no sponsor, not talking to anybody. You've seen us. We come late. We leave early. We don't talk. We sit in the back. We don't have anything to do with anybody. We just want to see what you're doing. I'm on my way somewhere. (laughs) I was always on my way. There's nowhere to go. But I was always on my way somewhere. And um, I remember going to my office and I picked up the phone and I uh, they had us when newcomers they had us get phone numbers and the, they said get a phone here's a phone number and I never used them but um I had them in my desk and I went to maintenance and I got a rope and there was a beam and I put it in my office and I was going to hang myself and I, I I was tired I was the most miserable human being on the earth I thought and I but, you know, I'm an alcoholic, and I just kind of want somebody to know I'm going to leave. And uh, so I, I thought, well, I'll just call these numbers. That way my body isn't rotten by the time they come into the office. Like, I think no one's going to come in there. But I want them to find a body before it gets too smelly. And, uh, and we're that way. We certainly don't want to leave a mess. So I started calling those numbers, and they were either disconnected... Busy, uh, just like Bill W did, I did the same thing, and they uh, or they were disconnected, and i just given up and this last number I called a woman answered, and it was uh, uh, this woman and i 'm not you 're not supposed to really tell your sponsor 's name over a tape because it's and i 'll meet me after to me i 'll explain why um, so this lady answered, and uh, I said. My name's Audis. She probably don't remember me and she goes, Oh, I remember you
1: <laughs>
0: And I said, um, well I said, I am so depressed and I, I can't get out I, I, I can't go on another moment. My life is crazy. I'm going I'm falling apart. I feel like I'm gonna be homicidal and suicidal. I'm I'm gonna kill myself, I'm going to uh, I can't take it anymore. I'm just not going to go on. All I want to do is let you know that I'm going to kill myself, and and I just want somebody to know that I tried Alcoholics Anonymous and it didn't work. And she said, Can I put you on hold? (laughs) But here's the part, you guys. Overwhelming. We're alcoholics. I waited. That always overwhelms me when I think of that day. I just went, Okay. (laughs) So she got on another phone. She comes back on, and I said, I said, uh, Hello? And she goes, yeah, now let me, she said, now let me get this straight artist. You are in your office, you're going to kill yourself, and you've tried alcoholics and it doesn't work, and, and you're just letting somebody know to find your body. And I said, yeah. She said, well, okay, that's fine. She says, how about we meet at five o'clock, have a cup of coffee, and we'll have a few words. If it doesn't work, you can go back and kill yourself. I said, okay.
1: <laughs>
0: so, that <laughs> you don't know what's going to turn an alcoholic around. So i never forget, it was a Wednesday night, it was raining, and she picked me up, and, and we sat in the car, and she said, let me get this straight. You've done everything in alcoholics and I went, yeah. She said, well, what's, what's, what's the problem with alcoholics and I said, I don't know. She said, well, do you believe in a power greater than yourself? And I said, I believe in God. I was raised in Tulsa.
1: <laughs> and,
0: and she said, she said, I didn't say God. I said a power greater than yourself. And boy, I never heard it quite that way. I said, Well, I thought it was God. She goes, No, no. She said, A power greater than artists. Do you believe in a power greater than artists? And this is what I did.
1: <laughs> and
0: she looked at me. I'll never get her face. She goes, It just has to be greater than you, artist.
1: <laughs> she said,
0: for God's sake. And I said, well, I don't want to, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of something greater than me. But you've got to remember that I've been out on my own. I've survived on the streets. I, edu- I put myself through high school. I put myself through college. There wasn't any, uh, I'm an illegitimate Indian. They wouldn't even give me a dime. And, uh, there, you know, there was no culture that helped me. There was no siblings. There was no spouse. There was no children. It was just me. Why in God's name would you think I would think of something greater than me? And that's just how I said it to her in that aspect, and that anger. And she said, I understand now. She said, here's what I'd like to do with you. She said, will you do something just different? I go, what? She goes, if I tell you some specific things to do, will you do them in spite of what this says up here? And, and if it doesn't work, you can go ahead and kill yourself. And I said, "You mean you're going to give me some things to do? And if I do them and they don't work, I can go ahead and kill myself?" She said, "Yes." I said, "In a meeting?" She said, "Yes."
1: <laughs> so
0: I said, "Okay." Kiss cake. The first two things she told me to do, and I forgot this, and I haven't told it in years, and may God forgive me because this was one real important thing. and I had totally forgot about it. There were three things she told me to do. The first thing she told me to do was use her higher power, not mine. and the, Not her, but her higher power. Because this woman's husband had just left her, her kids had abandoned her, and she was spending time with me. And she was so into to, to helping me with her own personal problems going on. The first thing she told me to do was use her higher power. The second thing she told me to do was when I go to a meeting, get a desire chip. And she told me why. She said, if, you know, when a desire chip is just what it says. It's just a desire to stop drinking. It doesn't mean I'm an alcoholic or anything. But the action changes the feeling. And walking up to get the chip Will be, will be the beginning of my recovery. When I, you know, I'd sit back and anybody out of desire. I'm not going out and let you all see me. I don't have a good shirt. I, I my, you know, I didn't, you know, my hair is not fit. all kinds of shit goes through our head when we're sitting out there why we shouldn't get a chip. I'm telling you from my own experience, the chip is the beginning. It isn't. It's an action because it's an action program. And the third thing she told me to do is go home and thank her higher power for today. And I said, but it was an awful day. She said, it doesn't matter. You said you would do all the action no matter what it said up here. I went home. I got on my knees like she told me, and I said, what's your name, said, <laughs> to thank you for today. But personally, I thought it was a shitty day. And I know what you're going to do. You're going to sober up this lesbian and then throw me into hell forever. That's what I heard you were going to do. That's what I heard on TV and churches and and protesting. And the, I'm from the 60s and 70s. That's what you were going to do to me. And you're going to sober me up and then throw me. I'm not going to hell sober. And I went on. And I was like having this conversation, you know. And I, she called in and she said, did you do what I told you? I said, yeah. And I told God that, you know, I, you know there's some things about me you don't know. But <laughs> she couldn't tell. I had combat boots before they were in, you know, and she, uh, she said, "Artist, shut up and do what I tell you. Don't you get your opinions in there. Don't you give your thoughts. You don't know anything. You've never been here before. And that's a, she was right. I've never been in sobriety. So then I started just praying with what she told me. Well, let me be honest with you. I didn't even know I was praying till a year. I was just doing what she told me to do. And I said, when am I going to start praying? She goes, you are. Oh. See, I wasn't raised in a church. I was raised in a bar. And we don't, we don't talk about how was your prayer and meditation today.
1: <laughs> you know, um,
0: they don't even like that word sobriety in the bars. Uh, we used to say, I drink myself sober. That's, a, that's the only way we use the word sober.
1: <laughs>
0: Never heard it any other way until I came here. So um, I started doing uh, the deal. I started taking a lot of action. Hated you, you hated me, don't like you, I don't like you. Know, it was that kind of deal. I come to the meetings, you're full of shit, you don't know anything. And you get all excited about mowing the lawn, you know. I mean, that just, I would sit there and think,
1: God,
0: this guy, oh, i there, Oh, I'm so happy I just mowed the lawn today, and it felt so good. I haven't been out of the house. And, and here I lived like an absolute uh, tramp. I mean, I didn't empty the trash. I didn't take baths. I didn't do anything. I was, you know, my sponsor told me some things to do basic things that y'all already knew how to do. The only time I had to do that was for eight hours in that structured atmosphere that I went to. And then after that, I didn't have to do any of it. And um, I started doing the steps. And let me tell you something. She told me something very profound, I think. She said, "I, I think you're ready to hear this. I had three years of sobriety, and she said, I want you to know that not in the car. I went home and said, God, I have no idea what to do with this woman uh, other than she was praying the whole time she was talking to me. And she said she went to God and said, uh, I'm willing to sponsor this woman. And there were people in alcoholics Anonymous telling her not to sponsor me. There were people saying she is insane. And she is crazy and she'll kill you and she'll kill herself. She'll, and she, they were right. <laughs> but she went to God, her, her higher power, and said, I'm willing to sponsor her, but you're going to have to tell me what to tell her because I don't know. This woman was straight, I'm gay, she was married, I'm not, she sure, had kids, I don't. What the, I don't, didn't find anybody I related to in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, when they say, I want to find a sponsor that I relate to, well, hell, I'd still be looking. You know, I mean, I went to, this woman knew what she had was recovery, and that's what I wanted. And didn't even know it. Did you know that the feeling, the first feeling I had in sobriety was, what the hell am I doing here? Have I really hit a bottom? I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous. And do you know that that feeling is hope? Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't even know what my feelings meant. And I thought, I've hit this awful, awful bottom. I'm an AA. And that feeling is hope. And I couldn't express it as hope till now. And uh, we started working the steps together, and she taught me so much. Um... I, she another thing, a sponsor, they say, you know, Bill W. reached out and called a, a newcomer and worked with him, and I, I truly believe that, and I have done that, and I believe in it. But I also believe that the newcomer needs to call to learn to reach out. She made me call her to reach out because I didn't know how to do that. And it makes it she did, this is a cool the way some sponsors do it because they'll say, I want you to call me between 6 and 9 every day. Of course, our self-centered thinks I'll do her the favor
1: and call her. I don't know.
0: You know, we think we're doing someone else a favor, and they're so smart because it's really helping us. And I would go to the meetings, and I would uh, do what she told me to do, and she said, I want you to call me, and we'd go over the day every day because, see, we're we're new people. We've never been here before. And, and I don't know what to do in sobriety. And I did exactly what my sponsor told me to do. I didn't go and ask six opinions. I did it just what she told me to do because you know why? Because I was going to prove her wrong, that alcohol Synonymous doesn't work, and I was going to kill myself in a meeting. And that was 13 years ago. It's been working ever since. Try, I dare you to work it in the attitude of trying to prove it doesn't work because it works. And the thing about it is she would say, she would tell me some things to do, and I would go do them, and um, she would call me. She goes, well, how was the meeting? I go, well, uh, it was okay, you know, but I don't understand. I I can't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be hearing. She also taught me to share in a meeting. And here's what she gave me. I always give this tool when I speak. You're welcome to use it. Anytime, uh, uh, to me, I listen to speakers for tools. Because see, I don't love people totally yet, but I love the God in you, and that got me through the the insanity of lot of loving the God in you and and separating the two for me for a while. She told me to do this. I'd say, well, I go to me. I don't hear anything. I, uh, you know, I mean, so a guy who likes mowing the lawn sober, and somebody did the dishes and went to the first store for the first time, and I I just didn't care about that stuff and. uh... She said, I want you to say this. You know, you know, do you know why we have a moment of silence? Did, did anybody ever tell you why we have that? Or we just, huh, we all know that because we, we've been here before. <laughs> I've not been here before. And I asked. I asked all the time. I ask questions in Alcoholics Anonymous all the time. But we have a moment of silence, she said, to, for a specific reason. Her and I. I don't know about you. But she said, in the moment of silence, this is what she prays. Let me hear what you want me to hear. Let me share what you want me to share, and I'm willing to have an open mind. One of the things that's being watered down is how. We're we're getting away from that because I'm working with people, and I'll say, do you know what how is? And it's an Indian term. No. No. I couldn't believe that she said that. I said,
1: no, no. Pra means honesty, open-minded and willingness
0: That's what it means. And how do you get that? I don't know how you get it. Did you know how to get it? You, those of you that had sanity and been restored to it probably do, but those like me who's never been insane, or who's never been sane and has always been insane, doesn't know how to get that. She told me how. In the moment of silence, you say, "Let me hear what you want me to hear, let me share what you want me to share, and I'm willing to have an open mind. And when I started praying that, I went to the meetings and I heard feelings for the first time in my whole entire life. I heard men share from the inside because all my life I thought men thought out of their zippers. Women were weak-minded. I actually came in as asexual. I hated society. I hated the human race. I was one of those that that would could have got on a tower and shot everybody, gone into a bar and masked. Massac- I got that far out there. And I don't think any of us are incapable of doing that. Um, so I go to the meetings and I do the moment of silence thing and I'm starting to hear stuff. I'm starting to hear some... Sp- I never knew that you guys... Well, I know the gay guys, but I mean, I never knew straight men and I had the same feelings. For the first time in 13 years, and I don't recommend this unless you're... This this gentleman that I listen to, his fifth step, is a very close friend of mine. He's a co-founder of Cocaine Anonymous in Tulsa. But I listened to a heterosexual male's fist step. And it scared him because we're related. (laughs) I never knew that, that we're we're so alike inside. I mean, we are. My mind is just a little twisted. But inside, you and I are just alike. And my sexual preference is not an identity. It is a small, small, small part of me. And, you know, I didn't have sex today, so maybe I'm not gay.
1: <laughs> so we go to that all the
0: time and also just a joke. But I went, I kept going and doing what I was told to do. Rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. Whose path? The path of the people that have gone before us. Not My therapist did not get me here. My therapist, and and I've I've been anti-therapist for a long time, and now I'm pro, because artists changed. I got to the point of peeling the onion deep enough to get to the part that needed professional help. I have a great therapist today, but she didn't get me here. All therapy is is an awareness. And then I take the awareness and I process it through the steps and get to the sixth and seventh step through the fourth and fifth. Because my first fourth step was everything I hated about God. You told me to write everything I hated, the resentments. Who Who was I mad at? I was mad at God because God made this thing and it didn't work. I couldn't function right. And uh, I wrote everything I hated about God, and I wrote that part about, yeah, you you know. And see, I I knew and God knew that I was born this way. I knew it, and God knew it, but nobody else knew it. And uh, I didn't know that someday we'd be aware of it. But I wrote that in there. You you created me this way, and now, now you're going to, to just put me in hell for eternity. Because I didn't go to church, but they told me when they came to the door. <laughs> Of course, I listened. Oh, really? I'm going to go to hell. And um, I wrote all that down, and I, I did my first step with my sponsor, and she said, uh, I said, no, I, I, I wrote everything down about God, and she said, it's okay, artist. it's okay. I said, well, you know, I really thought he would strike me dead because I tried to stay off his, out of his territory, and I, just, just, I expected him to stay out of mine, and we just kind of left each other alone. I never put anything down. I just didn't go near him. And um, she scooted her chair back a little bit, and I thought, well, see, so you're scared, too. And she said, no, I'm just giving you room, because <laughs> you never knew I'd fly off. But uh, I did that fifth step, and let me tell you what happened. When I finished, and I admitted, and see, the fifth step isn't a dumping step. Go to therapy. Pay them. That's what they're paid for is listen to our dumps. What I wanted to do is exactly what the book said. The book said you share with a one-person God in yourself these things, these things, these things that have ate my lunch, caused me to go in alcoholic rages, caused me to be insane, put me in mental institutions. These things that I hate about the world, and I wrote them down and I did the fifth step and I said, God, you, me, this is it. And I, I, I consciously put myself there and said. I, I squared off with God. And um, when I was finished, I had one of those awakenings. And if you read the spiritual experiences in the back of the book, it talks about the sudden instant when I had it. I felt not only a God present, but I felt a God that loved me just like I am. Just like I am. And from that moment on up to this moment here, my whole journey is, is in, in recovery is to love me. Everybody else does, but I don't. I met the enemy, and the enemy is me. There's no one out there to get me. There's no bad lovers. Every ex-lover I had did the best they could to try and build a relationship with me. I, I am the destroyer. I am the destroyer, and I know that now. And it's overwhelming because it's taken years for me to see it. I'm sure you said it a thousand times. But to get from here to here to here is a hell of a journey. And it takes time. Some people, some people get it and... Pfft. And me, it takes years and years. And one day I wake up and it's that way. And I process on through the steps and I make direct amends wherever possible. And I, I made... What I, and thank God for Al-Anon. I went to their workshop. You, you know, I love that program. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm a member I'm not a visitor. And what happens is that is that what she was talking about in that workshop about making a heartfelt amends. I don't make amends to get out of guilt. I make amends because I really feel bad about what I did. It's not a guilt feeling. I just want to correct it. I want to clean up this mess I made. I don't want to get out of any shame or guilt. That's gone. That's taken by the fist step. I'm feeling not to a depression, but to a point of saying, you know, I really harmed you. Could I? What can I do to clean it up? And this one girl said, "Stay out of my business." She had a, a, a restaurant. She said, "I want you ever in here." And I said, "Okay," and I did. And what's ironic is that we'd go there after the meeting for coffee, and I sat on the outside, and 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 my friends would go in and get me a cup of coffee and a, a bagel, and I'd sit on the outside and I'd see the owner and. She'd see me and I didn't cause any problems. I sat there and for, so it was four years I did that in recovery. And one day I was running at Swan Lake and she was running and she ran by me and she said, "Artist, you can come in my restaurant any you want now. And I said, thank you. And I went in and it's not there anymore, but it was, I didn't do anything except clean up my side of the street and God takes care of the rest. And it was okay that she didn't forgive me for four years. You know, it's okay. It's I got to forgive you. And there were things that, that I had done that you need. I needed forgiveness, but there were things I done that I needed for, to you that I needed forgiveness. And I had to forgive myself. This whole journey is amazing to me that that I'm walking along and I'm thinking, well, if I get the right attitude, the right job, the right look. I'll be okay, and it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with this journey of loving me. And a year ago, April, I I, I did meet a uh, uh, I did have a, a a small I don't even know how to say it. Um, I had a relationship. <laughs> it was kind of neat, and I, I I worked real hard at it, and I. Um, I I still didn't have the skills to be a healthy person in a relationship, but I worked the best of my ability, and and she left. And a year ago, April, she left, and um, I got to experience things I never experienced before. For for 12 years, or 11 years at that time, uh, I spent every holiday in the meetings. I spent every holiday in meetings. Uh, Conferences were my vacations. Uh, meetings were my holidays, unless somebody invited me to their house for dinner, I was there with the guys in the meetings who had nowhere to go. And it was okay. It was hard at first because I thought, my family's dead, half's dead from the disease of alcoholism, and the other half is in, and is in prison or, or on their way to death. So there's no one out there anymore. And um, so she left, and I was thinking... Gee, she gave, we had, I had my first Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's in my own house because uh, she moved in with me. And uh, that was neat. I, I never had that. It was so overwhelming to me at times. I would, you know, I would give parties and leave. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know how to stay at my own party. But it was overwhelming. And uh, it was such a to touch. So she, she taught me a lot. And she left, and she's happy today. She's with someone she, that's... Compatible. Uh, not, I don't approve, but it's compatible.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, I got to tell this because um, my friend Sally here. I got to tell this. I was sitting in front of a TV one day, you guys, and they, the news was on. I don't know, I had four or five years. I don't know how many years I had, but the news was on and they were saying, and this gentleman, blah, 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 blah and they were describing something this guy did. And this guy did this act. And I was sitting there listening. I thought, God, I did that. That's what I did. And they had a name for it now. It's called stalking. And I did not know it was stalking until I saw it on the news that day. I always thought it was love. (laughs) I always thought it was love. I called my father and said, my God, I'm a stalker. And she said, "What happened?" I told her. And she says, "Well, artist, you haven't done that. No, it's okay. Remember, you're in recovery." I said, "I know, but I just feel like I should k- turn myself in." <laughs> and uh, I let you know I have not stalked in a long time. So, um, but that was overwhelming to, to do something you don't even know is abnormal. Because I related to the women in Fatal Attraction, and. Uh, That kind of stuff, you get real scary when you go, oh, you don't want to tell everybody. You don't want to go around telling people that you relate to the woman, the stalker and fatal attacks, because it doesn't sound very healthy, but it was honest. It was honest. I I really did. And I went to my sponsor, and I told her that, and we worked through that. Wow, you know, these are things I need to work through. So anyway, I'm on my way. I'm on my way to recovery, and life's different. uh so last April, she left, and then two months later, I got a call. My brother's dying from alcoholism, so I go to the hospital, and I watch my brother die of alcoholism. Then two months after that, my dad, they call and to tell me he's dying, and I run over to the doctors, and he dies five minutes before I get there. And then I try to take my registry. i had been studying a year, and I failed my registry. And then I go to work, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm so scattered. I'm, I'm, I'm not... This is with... Uh, 12 years of sobriety and I'm I'm scattered in my head and I'm thinking, it's okay. I've got 12 years. I should be strong, you know. And I got all this shit going through my head and I remember the insanity was coming back. And uh, some coworker came up to me and I told her to go suck something big and uh, before I knock her teeth out. Well, today. Today you don't do that because it's automatic termination because it's threatening a coworker, which is scary today, and I understand that. And um, so I got fired, and I came home, and I, I everything was gone, and it was in less than six months. All this is happening, and I'm thinking, you know, in the big book it says one resentment cuts off the sunlight of the spirit. I thought that girl was sent to me from God. I don't think God's into the dating game. I really don't. I think he allows me to pick somebody, and you pick me, I pick you, and God will help us work it out. I used to believe that, but I don't anymore. And maybe they come back to me. Maybe I've lost my faith in that part. But um, I went, and I'm 12 years of sobriety, and I'm sitting there, and I have a, a fireplace with gas logs, and I'm ready to turn them on. And... Um, Something that she taught me in the car that night was, no matter what happens in our lives, before you take a drink, a pill, or commit suicide, and I added, get married, (laughs) call
1: someone.
0: Call someone. And I I reached to the phone. I didn't care anymore. I'm not, I'm still pretty much of a loner. I try not to be, but I do have friends that love me dearly, that, that love me and it's it's uncomfortable at times for me, but the, and a lot of them are here today. Um, I, I picked up the phone, and I called this uh, friend of mine in the program, and she called another friend, and they came and got me and took me to Parkside Mental Ward. And I thought, I'm right back where I started. Twelve years later, I'm in a mental ward. <laughs> and I sat there and, there, and before I went there, though, there was a thought that came through my head, sitting there in front of the fireplace, I thought, if I, and I have a gun, and, I, I, and, and everybody knows I have a gun. And if, if, um, thanks to Sally. Um, I thought if I take that gun and shoot my foot off, that would stop the pain that I was feeling in here, and I could focus in on the physical pain. That's called sponsoring yourself. <laughs> Don't go there. That's what I thought, and then I made the call. Then they take me to the mental ward, and I'm saying, and, and what I did was they interview you, and if they tell, if you tell them, and this is going to help you with long term sobriety. They said, well, Aris, if we send you home, what, what do you think you do?" I said, "Well, you know, I feel like killing myself. I mean, that's what I feel like doing." And they said, "Well, just," and they took me upstairs and locked me up, and you can't get out. And I told them, I said, "Look, I'm just having a bad day. <laughs> you know, I." And, and the state, is you go before these people, and they determine if you're sane, and if you're not, you go to Eastern State Mental Institution. And all I did was ha- have a bad day, I think. I wasn't sure what was wrong with me. I know I had a lot of personal problems going on, but uh, I, my mind, I thought, oh, God, I'm locked up here, and I call my dear friend Charles, and I don't mean to embarrass him, but he's a very powerful, influential man in Tulsa, and Charles can get anybody out of a mental institution. <laughs> he's like my brother, and I called him, and he, he did everything. He goes, I can't get her out. I can't get her out. And, you know, he, he brought me some food. <laughs> it was like I was in prison. It was off where I was. It was in this mental prison at 12 years, and I had to speak in three weeks. <laughs> and I told them that. <laughs> I told them that, and you know I must have looked insane. <laughs> I cannot stay here. I'm speaking at an Indian conference in three weeks on alcoholism, so you've got to let me out of here. I'm, I'm just, I know, I know, I'll get it worked out. I'll, I'll do something. They wouldn't listen to me. And I was sitting in the lobby, and when you're locked up there, they take everything. They give you a, a gown, and I'm cold cock sober, no matter nothing. I am sober, for 12 years, and the, the. The people in the lobby are all sedated watching cartoons that is at high volume. I mean, it was like, oh. And I sat there, and out of this door came a woman hopping with, with one foot. She was hopping around with one foot. And I just kept looking at her, and she, she was just hop, 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 hop. No wheelchair, but one foot. And she was young, and she was pretty, and she was just a hop, hop, hopping. And it was driving me nuts because she'd hop over here and she'd hop over there. And and they're sedated. They don't have to deal with anything. I am just sober, uh, clean, nothing in me. And uh, finally, I just grabbed her. She sat down. I said, where the hell is your foot? And she told me this, and she said, I shot it off. You got a problem (laughs) with it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> she
0: did what I thought about doing in front of the fireplace. She shot it off. It didn't help her. It didn't help her. She was there.
1: <laughs> one thing led to
0: another. One thing led to another, and um, to the grace of God, to the grace of God, one thing led to another. And I thought I was going to be there for a long time, and, and I don't want to go into all the technical parts of it but it was a god deal absolute miracle that i got out of there um i went home and my sponsor was in florida at the time and and she had called and and asked me to stay at her house and i stayed at her house and i sat there and i thought what is the matter with me I've 12 years and you know i mean i can't my career's gone my family's gone my lover's gone and you know, here's the scary part. I knew if you gave them all back to me, it wouldn't change me. That was not my problem. And what happened is you've never been there, you guys, till you've been cold, cocked, sober, and spiritually dead. And that's where I was. I had no, I had put too much between me and my higher power. One resentment, I had them all going, but I didn't even recognize them. I slowly, when they, when that board, they had this special meeting to get me out of that ward, and I st- they said, what will you do if we let you out? And I, I said, I will start with step one. And I will go all the way through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. And I will do the best of my ability to be restored to sanity again. And I, and they, they said, well, but will you take your medication?
1: <laughs>
0: and I said... I I am willing to take medication because I thought, gee, maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm supposed to just take medication. And, you know, I did. I took antidepressants just like they told me to for four days, and that was it. I threw them away. I did not sober up to be medicated. Now, if you're on it, stay on it. If you're there, don't change it. I am crazy, and I want to be crazy this way. Please do not hear, get off your medication. I have good friends that are on it, and they do quite well. But I did not, and did not, it did not take to me like it took to others. It did not work for me. And um, I've been on the road back, the journey back since. And what I have today is, and I'm telling you from the deepest part of my heart, that I would go through it all again to what I have today. My miracles are from the inside. My miracles, and I love this because I know God is real, and I know he, 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 he's real than this table. What he's done for me is so overwhelming inside that maybe you didn't think it's a big deal, but it does to me. When God parted the Red Sea, that was a piece of cake compared to what he's done for me. He said, oh, my God, I've got to sober up artists and restore her to sanity.
1: I would rather part the Red Sea.
0: (laughs) But that's how I kind of look at God. Like all those miracles we read about in the Bible and stuff are great. But I used to drink in front of Tammy Baker and Jim Baker. And I I used to see him say, God can heal gallstones, high blood pressure, but not people like me. And I drink at that. And now I know that people like me can be restored to sanity. And I I worked the steps. I started again. And I did a complete fearless moral inventory of myself. And one of the things that, one of the books that God put in my life, I have to expand my world a little bit and go into a little, I got professional help. I'm in a great therapist. Uh, She's a very spiritual woman and in recovery. And she's helping me immensely. And I've had to do some inner work on me. And um, one of the things that I've learned is that uh, I am the enemy. I did not know that this disease of alcoholism, and this is my favorite definition of it. Alcoholism is the only disease that constantly tells me I don't have it. And it will constantly do that with me. It constantly, this is something about that part that just... There's a part that says, oh, she's really not. She's really not going out, going out. You know, it's not working for you, artist. You're not one. They don't like you. You're not cute. Oh, it just goes, I've got to shut it up. But I have learned to recognize it. I've recognized every part of that disease that wants to destroy me. And, and, And if there's a new part, to the grace of God, he shows me what it is that will destroy me. I almost destroyed me by not coming here. I almost had this ego idea that I didn't have anything. I have a lot. I have miracles inside that no professional institution could even reach. You know, and I know that my relationship with God is a personal, workable relationship. I'm putting the energy into, in the 12 and 12, I think it's the 12 and 12 of the big book. I'm not good with pages, but it said in there, when you become dependent on a higher power, you become independent. And I am like codependent on God. <laughs> I mean, I'm like that and I like it. And it may be bizarre to some people, but that's okay. It's working for me. And what I want today is, is God's will in my life. And so I, in that workshop that I was in, there was, the, the theme was in the present. And that's, I'm, I've got my mind, my ass, and my heart all in the same place. It's never been there before. And, and when that happens, and I, and I didn't do anything but show up and make coffee and do what I'm told to do, it's overwhelming to me. This, this program is so simple, I almost missed it. And, and, and it's, it's too simple. And I, I can complicate it very easily. I'm here in Houston because it's God's will, not my will. And, and 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 God used Sharon and Tammy and whoever those people were that put their that had a bad day and decided to pick me. You know, what I mean that's how my disease would say, well, why me? You know, and and it just it just goes on like that. And I have to remember that God is is the one that controls my life today. Not not I don't understand that part, but I trust it. And I like to close. And just one little thing that 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 I'd like to say. And it's a bit of reality, and I usually do it at the beginning, but uh, I guess I'm supposed to do it at the end. Uh, one of the things, could I see the hands of all those who have under 30 days of sobriety? Okay. I just, not to embarrass you, I just want to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. And let you know... And to let you know that um, not all of us die sober. And that's the reality. The first reality that someone gave me was that not everybody in this room is going to die sober. And that, that it's a day at a time reprieve contingent on my spiritual condition. And that's how I understand it today. And that no person is going to take my chair in AA again. And no one's going to scoot me over out of personalities over principles, you know. And, and the more I love me, after the compulsion to drink and use was lifted, I have been an Al-Anon inside. And, and that may offend alcoholics. I don't know. I go to both, and I don't have a problem. I don't, I don't see any confusion in it. They, they go together just like this. And my issues... or or I'm to work on the causes and conditions in which I drank. The causes and conditions in which I drank. It's right there in the book. It says alcohol is only a symptom. It's not my problem. It's the symptom that says you have the isms of alcoholism. And that part of me is so overwhelmed how much I've been trying to destroy my own recovery. In the book, there's a story and it says there's only two sins. And I don't know why they use the word sins. It doesn't offend me. I don't, you know, I can change any word in the big book up here. But two sins. One is to interfere with another human being's recovery. And the other is to interfere with my own. <laughs> and I saw that for the first time just a couple of years ago. I thought, Wow, that's what I've been doing. I don't have, any, I don't have any, any regrets of what I've gone through. I'm living life on life's terms. And that's all it is. And I could—I am behind this, restored to sanity due to the grace of God, and Alcoholics Anonymous. And you are the people that God uses to give it to me. And now I just gave it back to you. Thank you.